Well, if you guys have your Bibles, grab those, please, and open up to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. This is where we left off before we took a couple weeks off here for fall break. And I want to just start there tonight by giving us kind of a running start into our passage for this evening and reminding us of where exactly we left off. So Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. God's Word says this. I'll give you guys another minute to turn there. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. God's Word says this. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. As we left off last week, we kind of left with this whole idea of, hey, how are you going to spend your fall break? What are the next two weeks of your life going to look like? Are they going to be lives that are characterized by that which would be like a fellow citizen of God's kingdom or a member of God's family or a dwelling place for God? Or would your life look like something different? Uh, I pray that the last two weeks for you have been two weeks where you have grown and you have rejoiced in the work that God is doing in your lives. And it hasn't been a two weeks where it's like, hey, it's two weeks break. I'm kind of taking two weeks off from school. So I'm taking two weeks off from our relationship with the Lord. And we'll just pick that sucker back up on like November 4th, right? Uh, Which is a temptation, right? And I know that for some of us can be really, really difficult. Routine is such a blessing, Uh, where we have week in and week out and we know what Monday looks like and Tuesday and Wednesday and then all of a sudden like you get kicked off of your routine routine, and it kind of freaks you out a little bit and it's hard to keep the same discipline. It's hard to keep current with the relationships that you have in your life and the same is true with our relationships with the Lord. But I pray that your two weeks have been different, that they've been a great two weeks of drawing near to God. And if not, that tonight's message would be an encouragement and a help for drawing back to him. Uh, We're continuing in our series tonight through the book of Ephesians. This whole series is about living life to the praise of God's glory. That is in everything that we're doing and everything that we're thinking and everything that we say, the end result, the end goal that we have in mind is to make much of God through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit working in us and through us. So what we said was, as we look at the book of Ephesians, it's split up into two parts. The first section telling us who we are in Christ, and then the second section telling us how do we respond to knowing and understanding who we are. Uh, Salvation accomplished, chapters 1 through 3. Salvation applied, chapters 4 through 6. And so we're getting close to the point where it's like, okay, so what do I do with all of this? If all of this is true about me, And what you're telling me is true, that I'm in Christ and I'm a member of God's family and I'm a citizen of God's kingdom and I'm being built into a dwelling place for God. Let that phrase sink in for a second. God Almighty, creator of the universe, sustainer of everyone and everything, you are being built into a dwelling place for him. 
amazing. If that's true about me, how do I respond to that? We're getting close to that point. Uh, but tonight, uh, it's kind of like Paul is uh, a pastor nowadays. And what he does is tonight he kind of gives us the conclusion of his message that he's been preaching for the last three chapters. And then next Sunday, it's like the closing prayer, right? So tonight he actually, he starts to pray and then he's like, wait a minute, I got some more I have to say, which is typical, right? Uh, so he starts praying, but then he's like, okay, I got to stop for a minute. I want to make sure that you get what I've been saying for the last three chapters. And then after that, let's close in prayer is kind of how Paul handles this. So tonight uh, from our text, Ephesians chapter three, verses one through 13, I want to see three observations about knowing, loving, and following Jesus, and then three ways that we respond to that. But I have a question before we begin. How many of you guys like mysteries? Some of you like, any like Scooby-Doo fans out there? Okay, good. More Scooby-Doo fans than there are people who like mysteries, which doesn't really work, but okay, great. Uh, I was a big fan of Scooby-Doo growing up. Shaggy, anybody? Nice. Okay. Uh, Good. But here's what a mystery is. Uh, Did somebody just do the Scooby thing? Okay. Wonderful. Uh, (laughs) Scooby-Doo is all about mysteries, right? And they're trying to solve a mystery. There's something that's covered. There's something that's veiled. And the whole story is kind of like trying to unveil that mystery. Uh, A mystery is like a magic trick. Do you guys like magic? Yeah, not real magic, not Harry Potter magic, right? Uh, I was uh, a little bit of a nerd growing up. You guys are like, you're still a nerd right now. Uh, But I really, really liked magic tricks. And uh, magic tricks are cool because it all happens right in front of you, right? Like it's all here, everybody sees it, everybody's all in together. And it's like, there's no trap doors, there's nothing that's going on behind the scenes. Everybody sees everything that's happening. Uh, And then, Magic tricks are really, really cool until what? When, when are they not cool anymore? Yeah, when you know how they work, right? When the mystery is revealed and it's like, oh, yeah, no, no duh, right? That's, everyone's got that. That's no big deal. Uh, so I said I like magic tricks. In fact, last night uh, I had to run this by Katie because I'm super uncomfortable doing this. Like, I like talking. I don't like performing. Uh, But I thought, you know, tonight I would try some kind of a magic trick for you guys uh, just so that we can all see a mystery that's veiled and then we can unveil the mystery. So uh, Lydia's up front here. We'll have her be our lovely contestant. You just stand there. You're good. You're good. It's all good. Okay. So you just tell me when to stop, okay? Stop. Right there. That's your card. Okay. Not looking. This is a four of spades. Did I get it? It's a four of spades. Ooh. Right? What kind of sorcery? See, it's sorcery. It's sorcery, right? Okay. Uh, There are certain things that you see. There are certain things that you know about what's going on, but you don't know the whole trick. You you guys want to know how it works? Okay, maybe another time. Maybe another time. I'm going to have to preach the rest of this message with a deck of cards in my back pocket. Our Baptist brothers and sisters are concerned for my soul. (laughs) But I love Baptists. They're good. They're good. Uh, Tonight, tonight we look at a passage where Paul talks about a mystery that's being unveiled, a mystery that is being revealed to God's people. 
where they didn't see it at first, though a lot of the parts were out on the table, they didn't see it all. And now at this particular point in redemptive history, God is bringing all of that for Paul's understanding and for us to be able to understand as well. So Ephesians 3, verses 1 through 13. Read with me, please. It says this. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles, that is those who are not Jews, are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you, I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Father, I pray that you'd help us in this time in your word and that you would make much of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. I mentioned Paul begins by praying. He's actually going to pick up in verse 14. You can look at it there. He starts again, for this reason, I, Paul, and then he starts praying. That's what he's starting to do here in verse 1. But he remembers, wait a minute, I want to make sure that I wrap this thing up, that everybody gets what I'm getting after. So Paul begins by saying, hey, look, uh, recognize where I am. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. So if we haven't said this already, Paul is writing this letter to his brothers and sisters in Christ at Ephesus, and he's writing to them from a prison cell. And he says that he's a prisoner for Jesus Christ. He's been locked up because he loves Jesus and because he can't keep his mouth shut about his love for Jesus. He keeps telling everybody about his love for Jesus, and it got to the point where it was such a nuisance, such an annoyance, such a world-changing reality that those who didn't want the world to change, those who didn't want their worlds to change, locked Paul up and put him in prison. And so it's a good reminder for us that if you and I are to love Jesus, if we're to know Jesus, if we're to follow Jesus, then we have to know and recognize that knowing Jesus is hard. Knowing Jesus, that is, having a relationship with Jesus, following Jesus is hard. We live in a world that is in opposition to Jesus Christ. Frankly, the world hates Jesus. And oftentimes you don't hear it vocalized, but the moment that Jesus begins to infringe upon someone's freedoms or rights or desires, then people will begin to speak out with boldness 
against the name of Christ. When your lifestyle begins to convict others because you're living differently than the way that they're living, and they see that, that's when they start to become verbal about their distaste for Jesus Christ and their disdain for his people. And we can lose sight of that living in our culture and some of us maybe even in the subcultures in which we're a part of where knowing Jesus and following Jesus is accepted and in fact encouraged and praise God that we have those communities and that we're engaged in those cultures. But the reality is the vast world around us does not love Jesus like you love Jesus. The world around us hates Jesus and is in opposition to him. And we can't lose sight of this because if we do, then we'll find it perplexing when it grows difficult to know and to love and to serve Jesus. But here's Paul. He's a man that loves the Lord and he's made his life about serving the Lord. And by the sovereign will of God, he's writing to his brothers and sisters from a prison cell. A man who's being obedient to the Lord, a man who's being faithful to the Lord, and yet he still finds himself in prison. It's not a guarantee, even when we walk in faithfulness and obedience, that life is going to be easy in Christ. Knowing Jesus, following Jesus is hard. And if our lives are going to be all about living to the praise of his glory, then we must keep this in mind. We can't expect it to be easy. It's going to be hard. And hear me on this. Hard is not bad. It's just hard, and there's a difference. Hard is not bad, it's just hard. Look at what he says next here in verse one. He says, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. He says, look, I'm here in prison because I love Jesus, and I'm here in prison because I love you Gentiles. He's saying those who are not in Christ, those who are not a part of God's chosen people in the Old Testament, it's because I love you that I'm actually imprisoned. Yes, I love the Lord and that's what's wound me up here. But the reason for that is because I keep going to people that are not in Christ and telling them the gospel of Christ and they see the good news of Jesus and they turn from their sins and they trust in him and it's not a popular reality. But because I love these people, I can't but speak the truth about God. I cannot hold the good news back from those who are perishing apart from Christ. I cannot stop speaking about that which I love. He made his life about proclaiming the gospel of Jesus to those who were not citizens of his kingdom so that they might be welcomed in. He made his life about preaching to those who were not members of God's family so that they would be adopted and welcomed in to his family. He made his life about preaching the gospel of Christ so that those who would turn from their sins and trust in Jesus would receive every spiritual blessing in Christ. And he did this at whatever personal cost to him, even imprisonment and ultimately his life. I don't know about you, but have you found serving Jesus to be difficult? Have you experienced the hardness that is involved in following the Lord in seeking the Lord, and in serving the Lord. That's normal. And we can expect that, but we know that the Lord is with us in that. Secondly, knowing Jesus reorients my life. Knowing Jesus, 
Following Jesus can be hard. Knowing Jesus also reorients my life. Uh, Before Christ, think about your life before Christ. Before you came to have a saving relationship with Jesus, life was all about you. Life was all about me first, others last, and maybe God. Like if I found myself in a jam, then I might shoot up a prayer or something like that and see what happens. Apart from Christ, this is the way that we necessarily live. It is me first, others last, and maybe God. And what Paul is saying to us is that when we come to have a radically transformed life because of what God does in our hearts by the power of his spirit, when we turn to him, our lives are entirely reoriented. That is, my life is no longer about me first, others last, and maybe God. Life now has become about God first, others second, and me last. This is what the normal life is for those who are in Christ Jesus. God first, others second, and me last. And that's what Paul is saying here in this first verse. I'm a prisoner for the sake of Jesus Christ, God first. I love the Lord, I'm about the Lord, I'm about the gospel of Jesus Christ being advanced. And I'm about the gospel of Jesus Christ being advanced to other people because I love them. See, life is about advancing the name of Jesus Christ to other people, even at self-expense. And this is what our lives begin to look like when we are in Christ. This is what the Holy Spirit produces in us as we grow in becoming more and more like Jesus. We begin to be consumed with passion for Jesus Christ. We begin to be consumed with making much of Jesus that our whole life is reoriented around doing that. And then from there, the natural overflow is that we serve others and we help others grow in Christ and we tell others about the gospel of Christ at whatever personal expense to us. Hey, how about this last week? How about today? What does your life look like? Is it me first? Others last? Maybe God? Or is the Lord beginning to bring about a change in your life where it's, no, 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 God first, others second, me last. Either praise God for the work that he's doing in you because that's not natural, that's something that the Spirit has to produce, or cry out to God for help, that he would help you to have a heart that looks like his in wanting him above all else and the outflow of that in loving and serving others. Well, we're two verses in and we have a lot more to go, but I believe the Lord's word is already challenging us quite a bit. Uh, Paul then goes back to talking about this mystery that we talked about a moment ago. Uh, Look at verses three through six. Verses three through six. Uh, And two, he says, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, Verse 3, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Here's the mystery. He's unveiling it right now. He's discovering that which was covered. The mystery is this, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. 
He's unveiling this. Though the parts were all there on the table, though they could kind of see what the Lord was doing, and though God's people knew that he made a promise to Abraham that through Abraham all the nations of the world would be blessed, and though they saw little bits and pieces of people that were not Jewish coming to have saving faith in the Lord throughout the scriptures, at this point in salvation history, God was doing something new. He was proclaiming and making it absolutely clear and certain that Gentiles do not need to become Jews in order to have salvation in Christ. Gentiles do not need to do all that the Jewish people had to do in order to be Jewish, in order to have a relationship with God, that their relationship could come by grace through faith in Christ only. And that Jews were not just having a relationship with God simply because they were Jews, but they too could only have relationship with God by grace through faith in Christ only. See, Paul brings this mystery together and to us it's like, duh, right? Of course anyone can be saved. Of course anyone can come to a saving relationship with Christ. But for centuries, this was a mystery that was veiled. It wasn't as apparent, it wasn't as clear, it wasn't as explicit or direct as we have it written here in God's Word. Do you want me to tell you how the magic tricks work, works real fast? Yes. It's, it's going to blow it for you. You're going to be so sad that you learned, okay? This is, this is I, I, I'm not even going to go there, I don't have time. Uh, <clears throat> so I said, tell me when to stop, right? She gets to pick any card. Uh, so Colby, tell me when to stop. Queen of Diamonds, right? I know. There you go. That's it right there. So it's the bottom card that you pull up. So Six of Diamonds, I could stop anywhere here, but you can pull the Six of Diamonds from the bottom and make it look like it was right there. <gasps> it's not that cool anymore, is it? Right? Not that mind-blowing. That's what it was like for Paul to unveil, the, for God to unveil this mystery to Paul. It's like, oh, of course. I mean, I knew it wasn't magic. I knew it didn't work like that. There had to be some kind of explanation. Now I get it. Now I see. Duh. And that's kind of what the Lord is doing here by saying that Jews and Gentiles could all come to have saving faith in Jesus Christ. It's like this mystery that was there and it's being unveiled before their eyes. And he's declaring, look, knowing Jesus is an invitation to all. And it's always been this way. And now it's become even clearer that anyone can come to saving faith in Christ if they turn from their sins and trust in him. There is no kind of sinner who, when they repent and believe, that will be rejected. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So, even though we know it won't be easy to follow Jesus, even though we know that living lives that are radically changed, that puts God first, other second, and ourselves last, and now that we see that this mystery that was once veiled has been unveiled and all have an invitation to know the Lord and to seek the Lord and to follow the Lord, how is it that we respond? What do we do with this? Three ways for us to respond to these truths. How do we make Jesus known? Number one, we proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ. We proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ. Look at verse seven, please. 
Paul continues. He says, of this gospel, the good news, the good news that brings an invitation to all, Jews, Gentiles, anyone, of that gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me in the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Brothers and sisters in Christ, when we recognize that knowing Jesus is hard and that our lives are reoriented, that we're consumed with God first, other second, and me last, and when I recognize that there's an invitation that's open to all, our lives ought to be about proclaiming the unsearchable riches of Christ. And do we think about the gospel in this way? Like, do we see the good news of Jesus Christ as a treasure that is more valuable than anything else in this world? And when we talk about the gospel, do we talk about it as if it is an unsearchable, a boundless, a depthless, an endless that of riches that God has graciously given to us in Christ? Do we see our relationship with the Lord in these terms and do we experience it in this way where it is precious and treasured and valuable to us? Oh, that we would be more and more overwhelmed by God's grace and that it would cause us to treasure this relationship with him more and more. And so we cry out to the Lord and ask him for help that we would embrace the truth in this way. Paul says that God is bringing this plan to light. The reality is we live in a dark world that is in desperate need of light and that there is an enemy who has blinded the eyes of unbelievers and who veils the gospel and only the Holy Spirit of God can break through the darkness and can break down the walls and can break through the barriers that people put up in their hearts against the Lord and God is shining forth light and casting away the darkness as this gospel is being proclaimed through our lives as we preach the unsearchable riches of Christ to our families, to our friends, to our neighbors, to people at school, like Kirsten gets the opportunity to do in seventh period here in a little bit, praise God, and seek for those opportunities and create those opportunities to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ. Verse 10 says, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So do you see what's happening here? What he's saying is I go and I proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ. And as I do that, more and more people become citizens of God's kingdom. More and more people become members of God's household. More and more people become built together into a dwelling place for God. And as the church is being built up, the manifold wisdom of God is on display. That is the rulers and principalities, the entire spiritual realm, angels and demons, and us here because we see what God is doing. He's declared it to us in his word. We see the wisdom of God as he rescues people from their sin, as he draws people to himself, and as he builds them together into a holy temple, into a dwelling place for his presence and for his glory who can take sinners 
and redeem them and make them holy and so holy that God himself can come and dwell within us and he can come and dwell amongst us as we gather. Only God can do this. Who can bring together people from every nation and tribe and language? People that aren't like you and me, that don't look like you and me, that don't talk like you and me, that don't have the same culture that you and I have, that aren't used to the same things. And all of a sudden, because of what God has done for us in Christ and in the gospel, he can bring all of these people together and join us together as one with such a unity that angels and demons gasp in wonder and stand back in awe of what God is doing. This is no ordinary work. This is no natural reality. Marvel at the work that God is doing. As you look around, as you see what the Lord is even doing in this place, in this room, marvel at how the Lord is building his church. Marvel at how God is drawing men and women to himself and making much of himself through us. Verses 11 through 13. All of this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized, that God has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Verse 13, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Brothers and sisters, this is what God is doing in the world. He is sending forth his people to proclaim his unsearchable riches, and he's drawing the people to himself. He's building a church, a dwelling place for himself. And as we do that, as we, his people, do that, we are going to see our brothers and sisters in Christ struggle and suffer, and they are. And you, follower of Christ, will struggle and suffer. And as we look around, and as we see what's happening, and as we see persecution of our brothers and sisters, as we experience persecution and trial and difficulty in our lives, Paul is reminding us, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. When you see that happening, don't be afraid. God's not losing. It's according to his eternal plan. God's not getting behind in the race. God is not struggling with all of his might and coming up short. It's all happening into the definite and certain plan of God. So don't lose heart. Whatever difficulty, whatever trial you experience for following Jesus, and whatever you see that happening in your brothers' and sisters' lives, don't lose heart. Don't fear. Don't be anxious. Trust the Lord. God is building his church. His gospel is advancing, and he has invited us, his children, into being participants in advancing his glory amongst the nations. I don't know what these two weeks have looked like for you, but I pray that these words tonight give you more of a passion, more of a desire, more of a fervor to want to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ with your life and with your words, to make much of God by putting him first, other second, and ourselves last. So, Father, we ask that you would help us with that. God, we recognize that this is not something we can do on our own. We cannot embrace the gospel 
like this, God. We can't muster up enough passion and love and desire in our hearts to see your gospel as unsearchable riches, to see relationship with you and being satisfied for eternity with you as unsearchable riches. God, we get caught up in things that are right here and right now and are ultimately meaningless. God, not everything in this life is, but many of the things that we spend our time doing and we give our attention to, they don't last. But Father, you do. And the work that you do in us and the work that you do through us to make much of yourself, that lasts, God. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to refocus, to recenter, and to reorient our lives. And that you would give us the strongest and deepest and most abiding passion for your name and for your glory so that others might receive joy in knowing you just as we know you and have joy now and know that we will have for eternity. So Father, tonight uh, we do, we want to set our hearts on you, not losing heart no matter what the circumstances, but trusting you in the midst of it and pressing in and following hard after you. Help us with this in Christ's name. Amen.